want you to get your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 14. We have been in the middle of a teaching theme uh, called The Jesus Way, where we decided to take some time, and instead of talking about what would Jesus do, we want to talk about why and how Jesus would do it. Because what I've found is that you can be doing what you think God wants you to do, but not be doing it the way that God wants you to do it. How many ever met mean Christians? Raise your hand. Point received. And so we started talking about this. Look, if we're going to be a light to this city, we want to do it the way Jesus would do it. And so, man, we just dove in. I will tell you that as, as, a, as a pastor and as a speaker, uh, there are times that I'm studying and preparing to deliver something, and it ministers to me, and it changes me long before I ever speak it. And this has been one of those themes that has done that for me. One of the passages that we have quoted multiple times is John chapter 14 and verse number 6, and really one that we grabbed. I've, I probably quoted at least two of the three uh, Sundays that we've been in this teaching theme. I want to hit it, and then in just a moment, I want to pull back and expand and talk about it. John 14, 6 and 7, if you don't have a Bible or an iPad or an Android or a tablet or a stone tablet, either way, whatever, uh, it'll be right here on the screens for you. Jesus told him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. We're talking about the Jesus way. And Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would know who my Father is. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. On this Easter Sunday, this Resurrection Sunday, I wanted to backtrack just a little bit. And I don't know how many of you have read in your Bible app. I did this morning. I reread the Easter story in all the Gospels. I went back through it and soaked it in. If you haven't done that, I want to recommend you do that before the day is over. Just reread it. Be reminded again of what a miracle it really was. And so many little caveats and little small little storylines that jut off from that main story of the gospel that are so intriguing. But I want to backtrack. I want to go back a little bit to this passage of Scripture where the setting is the Last Supper. It's right before Jesus is about to go and pray and pray so hard that his sweat becomes great drops of blood where he's about to say, Father, I don't want to do this. Let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. So here he is. He's with his disciples that many of them he's spent three and a half years with. This is the final send out. Our boys play basketball. It's like getting ready to send them out in the locker room. The coach is giving them that one final pep talk. I've been coaching you. I've been training you. I've taught you what to do. Now I'm going to say something to encourage you and to let you go out. All right? You got the setting, right? This is where he is. It's the last supper. It's the last chance that he gets to leave them with a word. And so here it says, the Bible says in John 13. So we just read John 14. I want to pull back. Zoom out a little bit like Google Earth. Let's zoom out just a little bit. And let's get a little bit more of context in this passage. Judas has just walked out of the room to go and betray Jesus. And as soon as Judas left the room, Jesus said in John 13 and 33, Dear children, now look, I'm going to read for a little bit. 
So don't doze off, okay? This is the Word of God. How dare you doze off when I'm reading the Word of God. All right, so a little bit of Scripture here. It's a shame that I have to say I'm going to be reading more than three verses, so don't doze off. Here we go. Y'all ready? Take a deep breath, all right? Here we go. More than three verses. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer, Jesus said. And as I told the Jewish leaders, you will search for me, but you can't come where I'm going. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other. Just as I have loved you, you should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Simon Peter asked, Lord, where are you going? And Jesus replied, you can't go with me now, but you will follow me later. But why can't I come now, Lord? He said, I'm ready to die for you. And Jesus answered, die for me. I tell you the truth, Peter, before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny me three times that you even know me. And then we bump into verse chapter 14. Same writing. King James just threw some numbers in there, so don't let that mess you up. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's home. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am. And you know the way to where I am going. No, we don't, Lord, Thomas said. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know the way? And Jesus told him, I am the way, there it is, the truth and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me. If you had really known me, you would have known who my Father is. From now on, you, will, you, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Jesus replied, have I been with you all this time, Philip, and yet you still don't know who I am? Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So why are you asking me to show him to you? Now take a deep breath. All right. I want to bring out of this passage four specific characters. I want to pull them out, and I want to find some traits that each of them have that I believe that every single person in this room is going to relate to. You may be able to relate to more than one of them. Four specific characters. We're going to pull them out. Let's talk for a few moments. The first one is Peter. And if you're taking notes, write this down. If you're not taking notes, write this down. Got your scripture text, John 13, 33 through John 14 and verse number 9. Easter Sunday. The first character is Peter. Write down his name, Peter. And then write down this D word, denied. Peter denied him. First character let's talk about is this guy named Peter. The guy that Jesus gave the keys to the kingdom to. The guy that preached the first sermon on the day of Pentecost. The first sermon to the very brand new church. The apostle Peter is the guy who preached that sermon. But if you study the apostle Peter, what you find out is he is a gung-ho, ready-to-go kind of guy. You ever met those people? What are we doing? Let's go. Come on, let's go. We ready? They're always up for something, and no matter what it is, they're the first one out there ready to roll. How many know people like that? How many are married to someone like that? Seated beside someone like that. Yes? Ready to go. 
Now, the difference with the apostle Peter is before his true conversion, you follow him. And he's the guy that's always like, come on, let's do this. And then a little bit later, you see him backing off a little bit. I've never met people like that. Don't be nudging your spouse right now. That would not be the time to do it. Peter, as much as we talk bad about him, always the guy that tried to walk on water and sank. The dude tried to walk on water. And not just tried, he walked on water. It's amazing how we always focus on the failures, don't we? The brother walked on water, y'all. And then he took his eyes. So this, this guy named Peter is somebody that, I, man, I have a heart for because I have the same thing in me. There are times, I'm going to do it, let's go, let's go, let's go. And I get in the middle of it, oh, no, I can't do this. And then I begin to sink. Anybody else feel that way? Peter was always ready. He loved Jesus. There's no doubt. I don't question his love for Jesus. As a matter of fact, he proved, he told him, he said, I, I'm, I will die for you. I'm ready to go wherever you want me to go. I will die for you. And he proved it. Just a few hours later, when they come to take Jesus at the garden, anybody know what Peter does? What does he do? He takes a sword and cuts off one of the soldier's ears. Let me ask you something. Do you think he was aiming for his ear? He was trying to split his skull wide open because he was so in love with Jesus. They were trying to take Jesus away from him. I'm going to take somebody out. And so Peter had the best of intentions. He wanted to be the best that he could be. He's the kind of guy that some of us that are sitting here on Sunday morning when the music is playing, Jesus paid it all. Yes, that's it. I'm all in. Let's go. Ain't no grave going to hold my body down. Let's do this. This is my church. These are my people. Right? And then Tuesday morning. Let's just backtrack. Am I I speaking to anyone now? Just a nod is all you got to do. Speaking to a lot of us. I'm going to work out Monday. I'm going to eat better on Thursday. I'm going to be nicer to my wife on Friday. Right? I'm going to witness to my boss. And then here it comes, that chance. And then there's this backtrack. So he says to Jesus, he says, I'll die for you. And what Peter didn't know that he would learn later is that Jesus did not need him to die for him. He wanted him to live for him. Which is much harder. We've had the discussion with all the news of ISIS and our sons have sat down and talked about do do we have that type of love for Jesus enough as we've watched Christians having their heads taken off and being martyred because they would not denounce the name of Jesus Christ. And we've had this conversation in our home. Do we have that much of love for him? And all of us believe that we would. We want to believe that. And yet it's really as hard as that seems. It seems much harder just to walk it out on a daily basis. A friend of ours that we used to pastor in Austin, he said, the problem with life is that it's just so daily. Can I get an amen from this section right here? Yes. Peter. The problem with the apostle Peter was this. He thought he was strong enough to do it on his own instead of relying on Jesus Christ. I can do this. I'm a man. I can do this. 
And what Jesus was wanting him to do was to look at his own frailties and say, I can never do this without you. Peter, the denier. Let's get to our next character. When Jesus says, you know the way, old Thomas pops up. How many know Thomas? We're talking about D words, remember? Peter denied Thomas. Were y'all studying with me this week? Thomas doubted. Doubting Thomas, the doubter, the guy who's always got to have things proven to him. And I never read this until this way, until I was studying. And, and do you notice what he says to the Lord? No, we don't know, Lord, Thomas says. We have no idea where you're going, so how can we know? The He's pretty much calling Jesus a liar in front of everybody else. Calling him out. What are you talking about? We don't know. We're going to need you to show us step by step. Another word for Thomas would be Thomas the questioner. You ever around people that just question everything? How many are you one, how many are one of those people? Just everything. Look, why can't you just take it, all right? Just receive it. Every once in a while, I've got a, I've got a couple of questioners in our home as well. And we have to deal with that sometimes. And sometimes it just breaks down because daddy... And Kristen says, you're not my daddy. No, I'm joking. Watch this. Many of you know this story. Let's bump ahead now to John 20. This is after the death, the burial, and the resurrection. John 20 and 24. One of the 12 disciples, Thomas, nicknamed the twin, was not with the others when Jesus came. Jesus showed up in the room with all the disciples except for, guess who? Doubting Thomas. The guy who needs to see is not there to see. And so they told him, we've seen the Lord. But he replied, I will not believe unless I see the nail wounds in his hand, put my fingers into them. That's just as gross as you can get. And place my hand into the wound in his side. You are crazy, man. Eight days later, the disciples were together again. And this time Thomas was with them. The doors were locked. And suddenly, as before, Jesus was standing among them. Peace be with you, he said. Then he said to Thomas, put your finger here. Look at my hands. Put your hand into the wound in my side. Don't be faithless any longer. Believe in Thomas. My Lord and my God, Thomas exclaimed. You notice Thomas didn't just want to see. He wanted to touch. I mean, he wanted some experience there. He, I don't want to just see a sign. I want to touch it. I want to prove it. I want to make sure it's not a hologram or a mirage. I want to know that this is not a light thing going on. I want to know. But the scripture never says that he touched. It just said, Jesus said, hey, you can if you want. And immediately Thomas goes, I got it. I believe. I believe. First of all, you showed up in the midst of us with the doors locked. Yes, I believe that I'm going to believe now. And then verse 29, one of the most powerful passages of Scripture. Is it on the screen? Verse 29 says this, Then Jesus told him, You believe because you have seen me, but blessed are those who believe without seeing me. Peter the denier, Thomas the doubter. Those that say, I I just have unbelief. One of the greatest things that we deal with as pastors is unbelief. Just unbelief. Unbelief. I've been hurt by church. I've been messed up. I've been beat up. I tried to believe. I just don't know if I can believe. It's this thing. 
I got to have something that's going to that's going to show me, and I I need to know for sure. Let me say something to you. It ain't trust if you know. It ceases to be faith if you have absolute. I trust that my family loves me. That's why I don't have to sneak around and check on them. Right? There is a trust factor that God is looking for. That you're not going to have all the answers. I'm not going to have all the answers. I remember when God called us to plant this church three years ago. And it was right at the time when my brother, we have just lost my brother. Uh, I lost my brother to leukemia. Uh, my mom and dad lost a son. My sister, who was leading worship a moment ago, lost a brother. And, and we prayed for Josh to be healed. And we prayed for God to do a work. And, and we buried him. And I'll never forget, the next month, someone asked me to come to the hospital and pray for someone who had cancer. Hardest thing I've ever done. Walking into a hospital room that reminded me of my brother's room. And here I am supposed to pray for them, believing that God would do a work when I buried my own brother. I remember walking out of that room saying, I said these words, this seems sadistic, God, that you would ask Kristen and I to plant a church right after we've buried my brother. Did not understand it until now. Because now I've learned that faith has nothing to do with what God does or doesn't do. Faith is in the fact that I believe he is a good God and he does the most gracious and generous thing possible in every situation. Can I get an amen from some of you that believe that? And pastoring can be hard as people walk away and come and they leave and they come and they leave. And it's the same with you. Things come and go and life ebbs and flows. And the way you make it through those tough times is the faith that God's got you where he wants you to be. And you don't have to touch it and see it all the time. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, We walk by faith and not by sight. So to all the doubters that have to have a sign, let me tell you today, believe again. Believe again. Thank you for that golf clap. That's amazing. We clap. Is it, was that good? Was that good enough to clap on? I don't know. I think I'm going to save my clap. I think he's got something better. Probably that was more like, do y'all clap here? Is it okay to clap here? My Lord, you see what we just did on stage? Yes, it's okay to clap here. Verse 8, let's find our next character. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father and we will be satisfied. Peter denied. Thomas doubted. Philip wanted a demonstration. I need to see something. Man, are you, this, does this just describe our generation? I want proof of it. I want to see it. And when you show it to me, I want to see it again the next Sunday. And then the next Sunday. And then I expect some lights. I expect some smoke. I do not want y'all singing the same song again. I mean, I want a demonstration. And it better be good, and it better be quick, 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 because my ADD is going to make me change the channel really fast. 
I need a demonstration, sign seekers. I want you to prove it to me. I want you to show me a miracle. I'm going to have to see a demonstration. I want to know beyond a shadow of a doubt. You know what Jesus said to those that were looking for a sign? Now, look, I came from a Pentecostal background. We believe in signs and wonders. Man, we believed in it. We prayed for it. We wanted it so much that it became the focal point of who we were. We wanted to see a sign, somebody to do something, say something, a miracle, a a manifestation. Right? So much. I want it. You have others that are here today that you were not raised that way, but you look for a sign in another way. I want proof in the Scripture. I want you to show it to me scientifically. I want to see the facts. I want to see this. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, an evil and adulterous generation seeks a sign. I have a fear that we're raising up a generation that are evil and adulterous because all they're looking for is a sign. Prove it to me. Make me want it. Make me desire it. This is what Philip said. Listen to this. Give me a a demonstration and we will be satisfied. Boy, doesn't doesn't that just sound as lazy as you can get? Just as me, 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 and mine. I want to be satisfied. I'm going to need you to show me a demonstration. One more character that has not been mentioned. We've talked about Peter. We've talked about Thomas. We've talked about Philip. But there's another character here today that I want to pull out whose name is not mentioned. And that's because he's the author. His name is John. John was the beloved disciple. Now I know why mom and dad named me that. John was the one that Jesus loved. He loved him. Y'all know John, right? John's the one that as this was going on, as we read a moment ago in John 14, can anybody tell me where John was the Last Supper? He was laying on the chest of Jesus. Laying so close that he could hear his heartbeat. Laying so close that he could hear him whisper things that no one else in the room heard. Little things that that he would say. John's catching those things. Matter of fact, the scripture says that John stayed with Jesus while all of the other disciples forsook him and fled. John stayed with him. Matter of fact, I don't know if you know this, but if you'll study, John is the one who let Peter into the courtyard where they were getting ready to try Jesus. He had followed him so close. Everybody else ran away, but John stayed with him. So much that when Peter finally made his mind up and said, all right, I got to get close to Jesus, he couldn't get in. And he saw John. He said, hey, I know him. Somebody go tell him. And John came out, unlocked the gate, and let him in. How? Because John was close to him. John is the only disciple that is recorded being at the cross. Everybody else is gone, but not good old beloved John. John is the disciple that Jesus looked down and with some of his last breath said, Mom, I want you to go home with John. John, would you mind taking care of my mama? Because I got some things to do. Now think about this. John. Peter, the denier, Thomas, the doubter, Philip wants a demonstration. John was dedicated, stayed with him, 
stayed with him. So, what is John's lesson in this? We know what Thomas' lesson is, right? We got Peter's lesson, correct? We got Philip's lesson. What's John's lesson? It's found in verse 34 of our text. When Jesus says, so now I am giving you a new commandment, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. This is the, John is the only writer that records this. No other writer Matthew, Mark, or Luke records this passage. Why? Because I believe this was a word to John. Because you got Peter who denied him, Thomas who was a doubter, and Philip who wanted a demonstration. I believe this was a word to John that says this. John, you're the dedicated one. Now let me teach you a lesson. You're going to have to learn all these other guys. You're going to have to learn to love all these other guys that were not as dedicated as you were. Let me say something to you. I've met people who have denied him, and I've been one of them. I've met people who have doubted him. I've been one of them. I've met people who wanted a demonstration. I've been one of them. Out of all those people, the meanest people I've ever met have been the ones who are dedicated to him. Can I get an amen from somebody else? The ones that say, I never left him, I'll never leave him. He's mine and mine only. How dare y'all try to get close to my Jesus? He's my Jesus. And put up rules and regulations and stipulations and what it means to be a Christian and what you got to do to be saved. Boom, 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 and lines. And just how am I ever going to make it through all these boundaries to get to Jesus? But what Jesus was saying to John is, John, here's the deal. Peter denied him denied me. He's going to deny me, but he's also going to be the guy that's going to preach the very first sermon at Pentecost. Can you imagine what John must have felt when he's the one that stuck with, stuck with Jesus the whole time? And now here they are, the first sermon to the very first church. Who's going to get the word? And Peter steps forward. How could John let that happen? Because he had learned his lesson in learning to love and here's what, Peter, here's what John learned, is that being dedicated doesn't prove that you're a disciple of Christ. But loving those who are not does. Being gracious, being kind, being compassionate, being caring, being forgiven. I'm proud of you that you've stuck with Jesus all these years. But I'm more proud of you when you accept someone who has not. And the same writer, John, check this out. In 1 John, now he jumps to the very end. This is nearing the end of his life. Watch what he says, 1 John 2 and 7. Dear friends, I am not writing a new commandment to you. Remember what Jesus said? I'm giving you a new commandment. He said, rather it is an old one that you've heard from the very beginning. This old commandment to love one another is the same message you heard before, yet it is also new. Jesus lived the truth of this commandment, and you were also living it. For darkness is disappearing. The true light is already shining. 
If anyone claims I am living in the light but hates a Christian brother or sister, that brother is living in darkness. Anyone who loves another brother or sister is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. I would say that John learned his lesson. Now let's get back to the point before Jesus was so rudely interrupted by these three guys. Remember what Jesus was saying? He was in the middle. He said, don't let your hearts be troubled. Verse 14, trust in God. Trust also in me. There is more than enough room in my father's house. If this were not so, would I have told you that I'm going to prepare a place for you? I told you all we were going to read some scriptures today. When everything is ready, I will come and get you so that you will always be with me where I am and you know the way to where I am going. This is the theme of this entire passage of Scripture is this. No matter which person you are, the deceiver, the doubter, the one who don't, wants a demonstration, or the dedicated, there is room in his house for all of us. He said, I'm going to make a place for you. Now think about that. He's going to prepare a place for us. And we read at the beginning of this teaching series, this place is incredible. Streets of gold. Gold. Yeah, gold. Like gold up there is pavement. And it's clear gold. And and the gates are made of one single pearl. Not pearls. One pearl makes up each gate. And everybody gets their own place. Okay, hallelujah. Everybody gets their own place. Your own place. He's going to be the light there. There's going to be no more tears there. This is the kind of place that he's going to prepare for us. And this is the power of the gospel. And then he's going to come back and get us. And let us live there with him, the one we crucified. The one we denied, the one we doubted. And not just let us live there, but let us live there with him forever. The moral of the gospel is this. His house is big enough for all of us. No matter who you are, where you've come from, where you're going, what you've done, his house is big enough. And how do we get there? Just got to follow the way. And it's easy because he is the way. Isn't that great? He makes the way, he shows the way, and he is the way. Those of you that are seeking for direction, I want to encourage you to draw closer to Jesus than you've ever been before in your life. Those that are dedicated, what if you could find a way to get as close to him as you can, laying down your judgment, laying down your cynicism, laying down anything that would keep you from him? For those that have been seeking for a demonstration, that you would get to a place that you would say, okay, God, I am willing and able to trust in you no matter what I see or feel. Those that have battled with unbelief, let me talk on that for just a moment. That is one of the most life-vacuuming spirits in the world is unbelief. Because no matter how much you see or how much you feel or how much, it just takes all the life out of you. You ever been around those people that are just doubting and cynical and kind of the Eeyore, you know? Uh, 
And when they walk in the room, you can feel any faith just kind of empty out. And no matter what you say, hey, it's going to be great. I don't know. You know, just it's the hardest thing to pastor. It's the hardest thing to be a friend to. And in this generation that has seen everything, heard everything, all it takes is one click to prove it right or wrong. It's just, I believe that God is asking for us to get to the place that we don't have to see it, touch it, feel it, to believe it. It's his word. He said it. I believe it. Let's go. And for those of you that feel like you've denied him and walked out on him and promised some things and yet you didn't live up to those promises, his house is big enough for you today as well. One of my favorite passages in the scripture is when Jesus was resurrected. He said, go tell my disciples and Peter. Don't forget Peter. Now, Thomas, I don't care if he's there or not, but make sure that Peter hears it, okay? I want Peter to hear that I still love him. And I believe that if Judas wouldn't have done something stupid and hung himself, I believe he would have said, tell Peter and Judas. Tell them both that my house is big enough for them. Let's stand today.